Hello and welcome to the Star Wars Saga Cast. My name is John Wilson and this is episode 21 of the show. It's a special outdoors recording episode where I'm on my patio in a little alcove. There might be a little bit of an echo and you might even hear the fountain going on in the background, but hey... That's what podcasting is all about. Today's episode is going to be taking a look at Pizzazz number 11 and Star Wars number 17, both coming out from Marvel Comics. Last episode, we had the sort of one-off story in Marvel about the Hunter. And today we're going to continue with another one-off story. We'll get to that in a minute because first, we have Pizzazz. Marvel Comics miraculously presents Pizzazz. It's a special issue. What are your chances? You can't miss. We have on the cover a wide variety of well-known faces. We have Sean Cassidy, one of the pictures from a couple issues ago, Howard the Duck, Mona Lisa, John Travolta, some guy that might be Tarzan, uh, Woody Allen, the Hulk, Charlie Chaplin, and lots of other people whose names don't come to my mind right away. They're all just kind of arrayed haphazard like with a big old text balloon pointing to all of them saying, Kid, we're going to make you a star. This is a guide to putting your name in lights. Punk, cookie tests, optical illusions, puzzles, Star Wars, prizes, games, lots of good stuff. I like how Star Wars always manages to get a mention on the cover. It's usually pretty small, usually kind of out of, you know, out of the way off to the side or on the bottom or something, but it's nice to see. So we're going to see what's in this magazine. If there's anything before the actual Star Wars comic that is Star Warsy, And I see nothing. Absolutely nothing. You're so stupid. Okay. So today's Star Wars adventure. Continuing the adventures of characters from the science fantasy film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox, is brought to us by Archie Goodwin, the writer, Walt Simonson and Klaus Janssen returning as the artists, Marie Severin as the colorist, and R. Parker as the letterer. Pretty sure that's Rich Parker, or Rick Parker, or Richard Parker, depending on which phase of life he's in right now. We open on the polar wastes of Acuria 2. Sent here by the Alliance to make contact with a new rebel group, Luke, Princess Leia, and the droids have been shot down by Imperial Witchcraft. Witchcraft? Really? I mean, it was just TIE fighters in the sky and they shot them down. There wasn't anything witchy about it. But hey, you know, whatever. And remember that the third TIE fighter was also shot down by some blast from the ground. And whoever shot that last TIE fighter down is now approaching our heroes. Luke and Leia are keeping blasters handy, but R2 and 3PO have wandered off to look at the wreckage of the downed TIE fighter. See, 3PO is not too fond of this idea. The cold must have cracked my logic, Terminals R2-D2, letting you lead me so far from the princess and Master Luke. Why in the name of the Maker are you poking about in this wreckage of this TIE fighter? Zreep, biddle boop. To see why your sensors didn't detect a pilot aboard, R2, what... Oh, that's why we call it witchcraft, because the TIE fighters were being flown as drones, not as piloted craft. Interesting. Well, the title of this part of the story is given at the bottom, The Snow Demons. And as 3PO and R2 are looking at the TIE fighter, we see some uh, yeti, for lack of a better word, sneaking up behind him. Large, white-furred monsters with weapons in hand. Uh, Never mind, R2. The mystery of the missing TIE fighter pilot will have to wait. I'm afraid we have more pressing problems. 
And as R2 and 3PO are getting harassed, more of these creatures have made their presence felt around Luke and Leia. The fur makes them almost invisible until they move. And they're moving too fast for my taste. Now, Luke and Leia have their blasters handy, but they're not using them. They're waiting till the monsters are so close they can grab the blasters out of their hand. Even whenever one of them is grappling with Leia, Luke doesn't shoot it. He throws his binoculars at it. Now, I'm all for the humane approach, but I'm not entirely sure that might be the best choice here. Luke does, however, draw his lightsaber, so he's not going to shoot them, but he will cut them in half. Or at least, you know, menace them. But help is close at hand in the form of a mobile fortress Luke and the princess had sighted earlier. This huge, hulking... (laughs) It's hard to describe. It's like a tank, only not on wheels. It's in the air. Lots and lots of guns and turrets and portholes. It's like more, less of a tank and more of a battleship, I guess. Like a, like a battle tank, air, ship, fortress thingy. And it's flying through the sky very slowly, I would imagine. But it scares away the uh, Yeti by shooting them or shooting at them. And someone pokes out a door and says, Senator Organa, Skywalker, get ready to bore the ward sled when we move in close. So whoever this guy is, he knows who our heroes are. And who is this mystery man? Why, he is Colonel Odan, leader of Akira 2's rebel forces. He brings Luke and Leia aboard and says, As you can see, our troubles here in the polar wastes are not all of the Empire's making. But despite the best efforts of Imperial forces and snow demons, you've finally reached us. And without serious injury or loss. So it's all happy day, right? But what about R2-D2 and C-3PO? They have been left behind. Next treachery so our pizzazz story continues apace and uh, i have to admit that so far i am liking the ice story more than i enjoyed the jungle planet story but i guess it's kind of too early to tell before we leave this issue of pizzazz behind though i do want to mention that in the back of the magazine send for the marvel superheroes Marvel Comics Subscription Department, one-year subscription to any particular superhero title for $4.50. Each additional subscription is only $4, and if you order five subscriptions, you get a free subscription to Star Wars. Well, how about that? The options are Spider-Man, Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Conan the Barbarian, Avengers, Incredible Hulk, Captain America, Daredevil, Thor, or Godzilla. Yes, there was once upon a time a Godzilla comic book published by Marvel. I think it went some 24 issues, which if it were monthly, that'd be two years, but it might not have been monthly the entire time, so it might have lasted longer than that. And sure enough, Godzilla was in the Marvel Universe. You had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and superheroes and stuff in the story. So Godzilla, yeah, he's a Marvel character. And that brings us to the end of our issue of Pizzazz. And now for the main feature of the episode, Star Wars Issue 17, featuring adventures beyond the greatest space fantasy film of all. Here we have a special issue, an untold tale of Luke Skywalker's past, entitled Crucible. And on the cover, we have Luke Skywalker in a huge old action pose, blaster at the ready, ready to go. (laughs) Really? Probably standing in a way that he never stood before when he was living on Tatooine, um, except for maybe whenever he was playing with fake guns or something. And I mentioned Tatooine because that is what we have in the background. We have 
sand people and a crash land speeder and some Jawas. But flying through the air, we also have some Imperial TIE fighters. So not TIE fighters. What are the ones that have like the fin going up and the two other fins going off to the sides? The triangular ones. I feel like we never even actually saw those until the uh, Return of the Jedi film. But anyways, they're flying through the sky here too. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents... Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Continuing the saga begun in the film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox. Crucible is the title of this issue, with Archie Goodwin as the writer-editor, and Chris Claremont has come along with the plot. Chris Claremont is a um, relatively new guy at Marvel. He was doing some associate editing stuff, and he wrote Ms. Marvel and a couple other things. But he was brought on to do the X-Men revival, and that has taken off like a shot at this point. He's the new darling golden boy. And so he's, this is a story that he came up with for Star Wars. Guest artists today are Herb Trimpey and Alan Milgram. Herb Trimpey had a really successful run on The Hulk, if I recall correctly. Uh, maybe not so successful because I don't know that era of The Hulk very well. But I, in my name, those two go together. Rick Parker is the letterer. Marie Severin is the colorist. And Jim Shooter is the consulting editor. Now notice, this is going to be our second one-off issue. We finished the story of Drexel, the water world, and Crimson Jack, the pirate. Then we had last issue with the hunter introducing a character who is definitely going to come back and play a big part in a future story. And now we have a one-off issue that appears to be a big old flashback because we open with Luke Skywalker at the controls of the Millennium Falcon. He once called this smuggling ship a piece of junk, but that was before fighting and serving aboard her. And now he loves to fly her and loves to drive her around. There is no co-pilot right now. He's all alone in the cockpit. And as he's flying, his mind drifts back to Tatooine. Endless miles of sand-swept desert and rocky wasteland baked by the glare of twin suns. And what do we find Luke Skywalker doing? Blasting Womp Rats. Because we all know that he blasts Womp Rats, right? So he's blasting Womp Rats in his land speeder. Wait till the gang hears about this. Any of them might bullseye a Womp Rat from their skyhoppers. But I bet even Biggs never made a one-handed shot with an energy rifle while fighting a land speeder's controls. So he is all kinds of proud of himself. As he should be, I think. But the rest of the Womp Rats have scurried underground, so he just has to take the one back to get the bounty on it. I guess people pay for dead Womp Rats, I don't know. But he does not realize that every movement he has made has been observed. And we see the shadowy forms of Banthas with other shadowy forms riding atop them. My guess, Tusken Raiders, Sand People, are spying on Luke. And when Luke Skywalker reaches the moisture farm of the Lars family, his uncle Owen chastises him for being out all day and not having brought the rebuilt parts for their treadwell. Luke gives some sort of excuse, but then asks if he can go to Biggs Darklighter's farewell party the next day. So that gives us a time frame for this story. This is probably a year or so before the events of the Star Wars film. Because Biggs, I believe, was gone for a year in the, in the Academy. Owen is not too pleased with the idea. It'll be another excuse to idle away more time. But Baru chastises Owen with an interesting line. Owen, Biggs is Luke's best friend. He'll be gone for a year or more. 
you let a brotherly without saying goodbye. Haven't you wished? Oh. So now we're playing up the hostility between Owen and Luke's father, Owen's brother, in a way that doesn't really fit with the prequel information much at all. But, you know, they didn't know the prequels and they were writing this. All they could do was take the lines from Star Wars and expand upon them. And I kind of like this idea. We know that Owen and Luke's father did not get along. We heard from Obi-Wan Kenobi that Owen does not hold with Luke's father's ideals. And it seems that Owen is just the kind of personality to let his brother leave without saying goodbye, without mending the fence. Just let him shuffle off and be damned for all Owen cares. So Owen gives in and says that Luke can go to the party, but he does not get another single moment free of work until they have the functioning treadwell. Luke asks his aunt about what she meant about him and his father, and she just kind of deflects the question. Owen just depended too much on your father staying with him on the farm. And looks like Luke is now the exact same position his father was in. He's helping Owen with the farm. Owen needs the help, and Owen doesn't want him to leave. Difference being that Luke's father was a full-grown man, and Luke is, well, he's 20 years old at this point, 18 or 19. So he does not feel the freedom to leave. And <laughs> mainly because his, uh, his uncle, which is really kind of his father figure, makes him feel like a traitor to even think about leaving every time he mentions it. So not the best father-son dynamic between Luke and his uncle Owen, but I'm pretty sure we all could have guessed that was going to happen. The party the next day is going to be at Beggar's Canyon, so Luke goes out to the garage and finishes a tune-up on his Skyhopper, making sure everything is tip-top because he doesn't want to bring back a wreck. And while he sits at the controls, his mind drifts off. Evidently, Luke has a very drifty mind because it's the second time this issue that has happened, and we're still in the first one. But the second drift-off is not to the past, but more to a fantasy world, where he imagines himself as Commander Luke Skywalker, leading a flight of starfighters into combat. Now the enemy destroyer looms before him. A raider. A slaver. Trying to escape with its living cargo. Trying and failing. And we see Luke leading a raid on the slaver ship, blasting away at all the bad guys. In this blaster duel deadly skill, not talk determines the winner. And when quarters are too close for shooting, a fist can be deadly too, as the slave ship captain soon learns from the fist of Luke Skywalker. And then it is over, except for a lovely hostage's gratitude, as he is being kissed by a young waif of space, and the promise of even greater adventures to come. Luke is broken from his reverie by his uncle shouting that he's going to shut down the power, and we are taken away from his dreams of adventures. We then shift to the next day, Beggar's Canyon. Any adult on Tatooine will tell you to avoid this twisting, mile-deep testament to the power of erosion. And any teenager will tell you it's the only place on a dull backwater world to find a few thrills. Now, here's something I like. We got a mention of Beggar's Canyon in the first film. We never got to see it until The Phantom Menace when they ran the pod race through Beggar's Canyon. Although I'm not entirely sure that it was named Beggar's Canyon on screen. I think that was only in the novelization. So the thing that's cool is that Beggar's Canyon has this reputation as being a hotshot daredevil place to go flying. Which is certainly true from The Phantom Menace's depiction. And I have to wonder, did they get that from earlier forms of Star Wars? I'm pretty sure this... Hmm. 
I was going to say I'm pretty sure this is the first time we've seen it depicted, but I want to say we might have seen a little bit of it in the comic version of the Star Wars film adaptation. I can't recall off the top of my head right now. But anyways, I do like that it's been consistent from the comics of the 70s all the way through to the prequels of the 90s. That kind of cross-continuity consistency makes me happy. Okay, and now I see what these ships are. These skyhoppers, he's calling them. Those are the ones I saw on the cover that kind of resemble the Imperial shuttle of Return of the Jedi. It's a somewhat triangular ship with one large fin going up the top and two equally sized fins coming off the sides and sort of a a three-pronged star kind of arrangement. Yeah, so it makes me wonder now if this is taken from some sketches and some design concepts from the Star Wars film, or if the people who designed the Star Wars concepts for Return of the Jedi saw this comic, I don't know, because they really do look like they could be the same ship. If somebody wanted to draw an Imperial shuttle in a comic book, and they drew it like this, I would say it was slightly crude, but it did the job. Anyway, Luke flies up to the party, and he's greeted by Biggs Darkladder. I see you waggling your wings, hotshot. Glad you could make it. But just because this is the last get-together of the two shooting stars, don't expect any breaks when the run begins. You know, the two shooting stars that can't be stopped just fills me with a sort of wistful nostalgia. I just, I love that there's this whole background of friendship between Luke Skywalker and Biggs. Even though his role in the film is almost zero, it's just a nice part of the background of the story that I like. There is a race of several ships through the canyon, but Biggs and Luke keep leapfrogging so much for first place in the tight curves that all the other ships, one by one, they all have their fill and they pull out. But the race is determined by, I want to say a trick move, not really a trick move. He pulls right in front of Luke and then breaks with his retros. So Luke's two choices are to pull up or to collide. And Big's Dark Letter is left alone in the canyon. Around the turn, ground charge missiles scoring on Womp Rats before a ship steers upward to escape stone cold disaster at the end of the canyon. Luke Skywalker is pretty impressed with Biggs' moves. His friendly competition, after all, no hard feelings. Guess that's why you're headed for the Academy and I'll probably stay on the moisture farm. The two hotshot pilots make it back to the rest of the party. And we see Cammy get mentioned. I'm assuming the guy next to her is Fixer. I feel like there were one or maybe two other people in that cut scene of Luke and his quote-unquote friends from the beginning of Star Wars, but I can't remember now who they would be. Maybe it's just Cammy and Fixer. But while they're hanging out and having fun, suddenly a land speeder on fire comes crashing into the area. Biggs and Luke run up to the wreckage and pull out the body. It looks like he's just barely alive. It's a militia scout here to warn of Tuscan raiders on the rampage. A lot of them mad as rock hornets. A supply caravan accidentally polluted one of their sacred wells. And now they're kind of pissed. The militia man barely finishes giving out his warning when one of the skyhoppers is blasted. Everyone to cover! They're here! And Wendy, okay, Wendy is the other person I was thinking of. Wendy tries to get a signal out with his communicator, but there's too much atmospheric interference from the two sons. Biggs' concern is that the Tusken Raiders could swoop through here and head on to Anchorhead before too much time passes. Their little group is pretty well defensible in the part of the canyon they're, they're hanging out in, but Biggs suggests that he and Luke hop in some of the skyhoppers and head off ahead of the group. Luke is all kinds of game for this idea, especially when his uncle's place is one of those in danger, but they are blocked on the way to their hoppers by a Tusken Raider. The Tuscan Raider throws his graffiti stick at 
Biggs, Luke cries out, no, and he lifts his blaster and fires at the Tusken Raider. Happily, Biggs is only hurt in the shoulder, but this is the earliest instance we ever see of Luke actually shooting somebody else. I made the joke at the beginning of the uh, coverage of this issue with the cover where Luke is uh, shooting the blasters that he probably had never done that in his life before. But obviously, Luke Skywalker's life had a bit more adventure and a bit more interest in it going on before the film started. And maybe that was part of the point of this issue. Maybe somebody had the idea of, okay, well, let's see that, you know, Luke Skywalker, while he lived on Tatooine, it's not like his life was completely and totally boring. There were elements that maybe helped to prepare him for his life as a Rebel Alliance commander. If that was their thinking, I think they're doing a great job. Luke and Biggs climb into a skyhopper. Biggs can't really help fly because his shoulder's hurting, but they do blast off. However, if they go too high, they're going to be sitting ducks for the Tusken Raiders' long-range blasters. So Biggs suggests they go through the mountains instead of over them using Diablo's cut. No one's ever done it before, probably for the good reason that it's impossible. But if we take the time to go the long way around, some farms and part of Anchorhead may not be waiting for us when we get there. So Luke Skywalker decides that, hey, somebody's got to be first to get through Diablo's cut. Why not us? And we see several panels of them flying through the rocks and zipping around turns and stressful looks at Luke's face. They do finally make it through, though. However, on the other end, waiting for them is a Tusken Raider scouting party, a group who went ahead of the main army. But surprise favors a Skyhopper in the Sand People's memories. No machine has ever roared out of the Diablo cut, so they weren't expecting them to show up. But despite the surprise, they do land one hit on the Skyhopper on the afterburner, letting flames pour out of the machine as it roars toward the Owen Lars moisture farm. They crash land, Luke pulls Biggs out of the ship, and they get the warning to Owen Lars before the Tusken Raiders can get there. The militia arrives in time to turn back the Tusken Raiders into the Jundland Wastes. And Luke stands alone, thinking, thinking of Diablo Cut, of the way he somehow reached deep within himself there and did the impossible. I like to think, and perhaps it's the directly being implied, that this is an early contact between Luke and the Force. That perhaps even all through his life, he's managed to tap into the Force in very minor, subconscious ways. But in any case, they pour on the dialogue a little bit heavy here, where Luke says it was almost like some kind of test. That whatever else comes out of today, I feel like I passed it. And Luke knows he can never be a farmer. He has briefly touched the stuff of his dreams and found them possible. And he knows he must someday reach out again. So we get Luke's determination that he must get off this farm. Despite upsetting his uncle, despite anything else, he has to get away. Now it ends up working out so that he gets away without his uncle's permission because his uncle, you know, kind of sort of dies. But that's beside the point. Luke's determination is what we find here. We get a nice full-page montage of different scenes from the film to show that Luke has made it out to the greatest adventure of all. And he comes out of his reverie on the last page of story when he's joined by Han Solo in the cockpit. Hey, kid, don't turn space happy on me. And Han Solo is very happy to relieve Luke Skywalker from the controls. You must be screaming to get clear of that seat. Hours at the controls in deep space can be pretty boring. And Luke replies, maybe someday, Han. Maybe in a few years. But right now, I'm exactly where I want to be. Awesome. So we were told that the next issue was going to be The Empire Strikes. I just remembered that. So this is obviously a filler issue. 
Uh, maybe the other story wasn't ready yet. I'm not entirely sure. But we do have another tease for some Empire-related story coming next issue, The Hand of the Empire. And that brings us to a close. I have to say that going into this issue, I was not expecting anything too hot. Flashback issues of people's youth can be hit and miss. But I think we got a pretty good story out of it. Luke Skywalker having a nice adventure with Big's Dark Lighter on Tatooine. There's a little voice inside me that wishes there had been some mention of pod races, because theoretically, pod racing was a very popular sport on Tatooine, and theoretically, Luke Skywalker should have grown up with them, unless for some reason they were put down and banned during the days of the Empire. I don't find that very likely, though. I mean, coincidentally, maybe, perhaps something happened to ban them during the Empire days that had nothing to do with the Empire. But, you know, of course, it doesn't matter. The mention of pod races is almost impossible because that was developed later. It's just, you know, part of me wishes that that was there to tie the two continuities together. However, next issue looks like we might be getting back into more Star Warsy Star Wars stories with this Star Wars comic. I do hope you'll be there. Thank you for your emails and your iTunes reviews, and I'll see you next time. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to send emails, I'll read emails on the air and special email episodes. You can send those to the Star Wars Saga Cast at gmail.com. If you just happen across this episode somewhere randomly, more episodes will be found at the Star Wars Saga Cast.com or on iTunes under the Star Wars Saga Cast. So thank you very much for listening, and until next time, my name is John Wilson. Thank you very much for listening to the Star Wars Saga Cast, and good night.